Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 11 through 18, and may, may be found on page 114 of your pew Bible. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not where they have laid him. When she heard this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, women, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Phil. Today we continue in our series looking at the questions that God asks of us in scripture. And I hope that today's question to Mary might become a question that has meaning for all of our lives. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Good and mighty God, you have done amazing things. And in a world where this week it seems like there has been so much that seems so, so wrong, we come and ask for your grace and your power and your direction to know what our response can and should be in your name. Speak to us, be among us, move through us, and let this be to your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. It was supposed to be just a quick run-in, run-out to the Target store. I was on the way home and decided I would stop and pick up a couple things. And as I'm wandering through one of the aisles, I found a little boy, about six or seven, just sitting on the floor, just sobbing, just crying. And I sort of looked around, not wanting to be a guy approaching a kid who's by himself, you know, but, but he was just weeping so hard. I looked at there was nobody else around. And so I went over and I asked him, little boy, what are you crying for? What's wrong? And he just, could, he just kept crying, just couldn't stop crying, couldn't answer me, didn't respond to me other than just crying and looking at me. So fortunately, a couple of aisles away, there was another Target employee, and so he did his thing with his little walkie-talkie thing, and long story made short, we were able to get the boy up to the uh, place where the uh, customer service counter was and the other Target you know, staff, and we were with him, and they broadcast out to the store, you know, description of the boy, and we waited what seemed like the longest time 
until finally we could see her coming from afar. This was the pace of a mother who was distraught, who was angry, who was just herself fighting back tears. She had obviously had been searching frantically for the boy and had gotten into, have you ever done this, you know, just running around right behind, couldn't find where the kid was or about two miles ahead of you and, and finally decided that the boy must maybe had gone outside, had raced outside, was looking in the parking lot. That's why she hadn't heard the paging. And she was just distraught. She came up and you obviously knew it was mother, son. The son was just, oh, you know, so they embraced and it was a, you know, a really powerful moment and she's holding her boy and, you know, it's that moment where you want to love them and you want to beat them at the same time. You, you've been there, right? You understand that. And, uh, and she said, didn't you know what he's crying for? Didn't you know I'd come for you? And finally he's gotten his sobs down enough where he could speak. He said, I didn't care about that. I was afraid that you'd gone to get ice cream without me. <laughs> It was just one of those tender family moments that I'm sure would be told throughout, throughout the years around the table at that family. And, and, you know, sometimes you can't always know why someone's crying. Maybe that's something of what this story is about. It's obviously been quite a week for Mary, too. The most devastating things that she could never imagine happened had all come to pass. We know from all of our talking about Mary recently that she was a central character, not only in the life of Jesus and his disciples, but particularly in the trial of the week that had been what we now call Holy Week. She had been witness to it all. She had been there at the crucifixion. She had watched him die. She had watched him agonize. She had watched him cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? She knew the devastation of it. She had seen his limp body taken down off the cross. She had seen it put into the tomb, the stone, the stone put in front of the tomb, and then Passover. An interesting oxymoron of entering the highest holy day of the year at your most devastated point of life. And now on this Easter morning where we find Mary in this passage from John 20, she is there present to what she did not yet know as resurrection. She was still lost in her grief. She had been in the tomb, saw the body was taken, assumed the worst of the worst. Not only had they killed him, but now they had desecrated his body and dragged it away. He was weeping. And the truth is, it's another one of those moments where I go to the scripture that I, I mean, how many times have I read and preached John 20? But you know, the reality is there are better parts of John 20 to preach. You know, the moment where Jesus calls out her name, Mary. You can do a lot with that in a preaching moment when Jesus calls your name. I've run with that for years on Easter Sundays across multiple congregations. But I had always jumped to that and over the fact that Mary was crying. Well, of course she's crying. Why wouldn't she be crying? But that wasn't even what caught my eye this time. It was, it was the fact that she was asked why she was crying twice, once by the angels and then again by Jesus. Why are you crying? And, I, and I've always in the past read that as, you know, what's wrong with you? Now, this is Easter morning. You know, resurrection's happening all around you. You're standing in the middle of resurrection, and you're bawling like a baby. What are you crying for? That's the way I've always read it. 
until now. Because the more I've come back to that passage, the more I realize that isn't what Jesus or the angels were saying. You see, Jesus was not afraid to tell people to go ahead and not continue doing something. I mean, the Gospels are filled with all messages, including ones Jesus gave to say, don't be afraid. There's no more reason to be afraid now. That time has passed. So he could have easily said, don't cry. Like we said to that boy multiple times in the Target store. But he didn't say, don't cry. He asked, why are you weeping? It's a question, not a command. And the more I've reflected on this, I've decided it's not a question of judgment, like, what's wrong with you? Why are you weeping? In fact, it becomes more of an invitation. You see, Jesus is, in fact, already post-Easter. He's resurrected from the dead. He's in that process of getting ready to leave the world to ascend to his Father. He tells us that. But he wants to know, in the middle of all that, what really is the cause for Mary's tears. He is not judging whether it was right or wrong for her to be crying, but rather, why? You see, Mary, I think here, has several things that she's really being asked by Jesus about her tears on this powerful day. And first, he's asking Mary, are you weeping? Because you've lost your relationship with Jesus? Are you weeping because you can't find him? Which is really where she was in that moment. She was looking for him. She couldn't find him. Those kinds of tears, in fact, may seem very appropriate at any moment of life. Have you ever lost Jesus? You know, we've played with the language. You know, people say, I found Jesus. Well, I didn't know he was lost. Well, the reality is, there are days that he's not lost, but I am. And like the little boy who thinks his mom was lost, there are times that I have wondered where Jesus is. Maybe you've had some of that this week. Maybe some folks did in other parts of our country this week. Where are you, God? Where is Jesus? What's this about? And perhaps the desperation of not being one with this one who's supposed to be there with us all the time, who we therefore oftentimes assume means that we're always going to have good news and not bad news. Where are you? And it can cause us to weep. But maybe also he's asking Mary and us, is it, are we weeping because we have lost our relationship with Jesus? Or maybe even more hopefully, are you weeping for all of the others who are weeping, who are still seeking? You see, the question comes in that oftentimes it's not a question of you shouldn't be weeping, but rather are you weeping for the right things? Is it not have you lost your connection with Jesus, but in the name of Jesus, have you lost your connection with the brokenness of the world? Are you weeping for those things? Jesus asked almost with hope that we would care about the things of the world that break God's heart, that those would be the things that would move us as well. And all too often in the world, the church has discovered that in fact, 
we have set an agenda and we stick to it almost blindly disregarding the situations of lives and the world around us. That's why the church so often has been able to exist and sometimes, yes, even to thrive in the midst of the most brokenness of social ills. We've been silent for too long on so many of the things for which people are really weeping of all manner of social injustice and brokenness and sin. In fact, we have often decided that the agenda that we set is that which we honor more than the brokenness and the reality of the human lives that we're supposed to be in relationship with. Examples are far too countless for me to go into today, but you can understand, I think, that all too often we from the pulpit, yes, me included, and we in our pews have often figured out how to sort of dust the dirt of the world off of us before we go in and be churchy instead of dealing with all of the burdens that people are genuinely carrying. Are you weeping? Maybe because almost in hope he asked that you're weeping about the things for which I'm weeping? Are you weeping out of joy or are you weeping out of fear? The reality is, on this day, Mary's probably initially weeping out of fear and sadness and brokenness. And such it would have been true because you couldn't find your Jesus. But is it also not true that all too many of us are weeping as if we're the Marys and we start each day acting as if somehow Jesus is still dead? That we are the church people who have a dead Jesus? Do you, do you start the morning with an expectation of Easter joy? Do you start each day recognizing that you live in a world where the risen Christ exists and that's the greatest truth of all? Or do you at times wake up in the morning seeing all the negative, all the worry, all the challenges, all the fears are in front of you and act as if you can't find Jesus, that he might be dead? Why are you weeping? That isn't the fact that all of the church should always be happy. Curmudgeons are welcomed here. And I'm glad to see some of you showing up today. <laughs> there are reasons in the world that may affect us, the days that we struggle, days that we have trouble finding joy in our hearts and a song to sing of praise. The reality is we are an Easter people. And on the days where we are unable to sing or have the confidence that God's resurrection has meaning in my life in this moment, that's why we gather together with others who are still mindful of it, who are still mindful to be able to sing and pray where we cannot, who can minister to us in ways where we just need someone sometimes just to be with us, to sit with us. We've been talking a lot about worship lately, and one of the things that we keep trying to talk about in ways that people understand is this. We oftentimes, and I, we're all this way, we're all this way. I mean, I have to be here because it's my job, right? But the reality is, do you? And most of us answer the question out of, based on, well, what are, am I going to get out of worship today? based on what are the other things I could do. 
We have sort of a consumerist attitude towards worship. Do you understand the power of worship is not what just you get out of worship, but what your presence here does for the ones who come to sit around you who are broken today and they just need to be surrounded by other believers? That is such a powerful force. That's why the church should be filled to the rafters. Not because of what everyone's getting out of it or how we can entertain everyone, but because there is power in the family of faith. And when you aren't here, you're not able to offer that gift of God's grace to others or receive it when it's your turn to be the one who needs it. Why are you weeping? Well, you may need to be weeping with others because they need to weep. Tears of sympathy are certainly appropriate in the life of the church. This is not ultimately a question about your personality type or your background. I, you know, I used to serve in Chelsea and, and uh, had a lot of fun with the folks in Chelsea because they're just a bunch of old Germans. You know, and boy, you, man, if you could get them to crack a smile, you, I mean, it was like, holy cow. It was, you know, and getting a German to cry, oh my God. You know, I don't know what it, I still have, after 12 years, I don't know what it took. And yes, I'm talking about them, and if any of them see this video, fine, because I'm still talking about them. I talked about them to their face, no big surprise. Love those people. It's not about whether or not it's your natural orientation to be weepy or not. It's about what are the things that move your heart. Because fundamentally, that's what matters in the kingdom of faith and on Easter mornings. A few years ago, I was in another congregation serving as pastor, and there was a man who'd been dying of cancer for some time. I've been in and out of the house many, many, many times, sitting with him, sitting with family, and we were now in those final hours of his life here in this world. And eventually, yes, the moment came when he breathed his last. The family had gathered. They were all there. And they all been preparing for his death for some time. And as you who have experienced that know, you can prepare for it as long as you want. But when the moment comes, it has its own power. And when he breathed his last, everyone around the bedside just began to cry or weep or sob. And I'm standing there at the foot of the bed being the pastor to the family, having figured out sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing at all, so I just stood with them silent as they wept. And on my left-hand side was a little boy, again, maybe about six or seven, who saw everyone around the bed weeping. And he looked up at me, and I really didn't know him. He wasn't a part of the family of the church. He was a member of this George's family, the one who had just died. And he looked up at me and he said, didn't you love my papa? You're not crying. Now, of course, I wasn't crying. <clears throat> I was the pastor. I'm, I'm the professional in the moment. It's my job to keep my act together so that everyone around them can lose it. That's my job. But the boy's question is a valid question. After all said and done, People know how you and I care by how we are willing to allow our humanity to be revealed in their midst, in the realness of their life and situation. The fact is, I didn't cry because I'd sat at many, many, many bedsides in the past and many since then. Those are places that people like Amy and I get comfortable being because they're places that we've been many times before. And we may not cry in those moments. 
But if we ever get to the place where our humanity is removed, it is time for us to hear the question from Jesus again, why or why aren't you weeping? Sometimes I guess we're all probably a little too distant from the reality of what's going on around us. Father Bill was a good friend of mine serving um, a parish in the Irish Hills of Michigan where I was serving a small little rural church. He and I became very, very close friends. And he was telling me one day about a time in his ministry when he was actually on assignment down in Mexico. And he was serving in a small town in Mexico during Lent and Easter. So it was a wonderful experience. But he told me about this one tradition in this village. He said what they would do is at the, uh, at the uh, on Good Friday, uh, they would go to the town center outside of the church and they would have this mass around the cross that was there in the center of the village. And then they would march in procession with musicians, uh, all of them marching back to the church where the cross would set in vigil for the weekend until Easter morning. And it was really a, a, a massive celebration. I don't mean joyful, but I mean it was a big deal. Everybody was there. And, and they were walking back towards the church, and Bill was saying that to his left was a woman who was absolutely distraught. She was absolutely losing it emotionally all over the place, and Bill was very worried about her. And being the pastoral presence that Bill was, he turned to her and he asked her, what's wrong? And she turned and looked at this priest Father Bill, with eyes of great confusion, and she said these words, Mi Señora ha muerto, which is my bad Spanish to say, my Lord is dead. Don't you get it? Father Bill, a professional religious, had become so professional that he had lost the ability to connect in the moment the way this woman was. She was really living Good Friday. And the challenge for all of us who are the professional Christians is that we can get so used to being so good at being so church, we lose the ability of being so real to the things that break God's heart. Mary was weeping, and Jesus was not judging her for it. He was just asking her, why are you crying? What is it that brings your tears today? And that is the question I believe that we take from this story. It isn't whether or not Jesus is judging you, whether you're crying or not, but he is asking us the question, are we allowing our hearts to be softened? Are we alone allowing our agendas to be moved? Are we allowing ourselves to become real enough with the world around us that we are able to be connected in a way where all the barriers and the distancing are taken down and we walk with others as they weep? even daring to weep with them. Jesus comes to Mary and asks her why you're crying. He comes to us today and asks us, is there any place in your heart left yet for the tears that will mingle with the Lord's as he weeps? He comes to ask us whether or not we are still a people willing to set our agenda to go to the places where people are broken or are we going to be a professional church keeping it, make sure that those of you who are so broken know that until you get your act together again, don't show up? No. 
This is the place for tears, tears of extreme joy, tears of great devastation, tears of sympathy, tears of despair. For in the bonds of Christ and in the relationship that we share with each other, this is known. Mary wept because the brokenness of her heart needed to be poured out so that it could be prepared to receive all that was about to be rushed into it. She was crying on Easter morning. And after she wept, after she wept, became Easter Day for the rest of her life. And that is the good news for today and the invitation for us all. In the name of Christ, so be it.